Go ahead and you can turn to your study outline. And I just want to begin with asking um, about nicknames. I'm a little curious this morning. Uh, who has a nickname that they go by? Anybody out there have a nickname? A few people? few out there. Okay. Well, Pastor Sham, who actually leads the China and Pomona program, goes by Pastor Sham. Most of us know that. But do you know what Pastor Sham's real name is? Mm-hmm. Sham Narain is Pastor Sham's real name. Sham Narain is his given name, but we all go by his nickname, Pastor Sham, mostly so we don't slaughter his real given name, most likely. Now, nicknames are really common. Our son, our oldest son, we named him Augustine, after the theologian. And uh, so instead of calling him Augustine or Augustine all the time, we just call him Gus. Uh, He's Gus to us, and you know him as Gus as well. So nicknames are sometimes given just to shorten names out of convenience and um, give people someone to or, uh, you know, just an easy reference. But sometimes nicknames are given to describe a person. Maybe an event that happened in their life or maybe a characteristic about them. So, for instance, Abraham Lincoln. What was his name? nickname? What was he known as? Honest Abe, right? Okay, how about Harriet Tubman? Now, she was known as the Moses of her people since she helped free so many slaves during the Civil War. Now, my maiden name, which is now my middle name, is Huber. And so when I was growing up, people used to go call me Hubster or um, sometimes Hubie. It was, you know, super creative. I was not overly impressed with the nicknames they came up with. A little underwhelmed, not terribly original. But when I was growing up, there was actually a kid that I knew. The family's last name was Webb, and they named their son Spider. No joke. I'm not teasing you. This was for real. I also grew up with a family and their last name was Leg, Leg, and they named their son Harry. No joke. I'm telling you the truth. So I'm quite sure, though, that both of those boys, when they hit 18, they changed their names. I mean, parents have this incredible opportunity to either bless or curse their name or curse their children with the names that they give them. So just in case you do not have a nickname and you're feeling a little out, left out this morning, I thought that um, we could help you out today and we'd give each one of you a superhero nickname. Okay? You down for that? All right, here we go. So what is your superhero nickname? So the first slide is going to have um, what your first name needs to be. So you need to take the first letter of your first name and line it up with what your first name of your superhero name is going to be. So for example, my first name is Lisa, and so I'm going to go to L, and highlighted there you'll see my first name for my superhero name is Wondrous, Okay. Now, um, we're going to go to the next slide, and this is for your middle name. So first letter of your middle name, line it up with the first letter of your middle name up there. So for example, my middle name's Huber, so my middle name is Exploding. Okay, so going good pretty far. So far, Wondrous Exploding. So then your last name, same thing, first letter of your last name, first um, letter lined up. So my last name is Tony, so I'm going to be um, Marvel. So my superhero name, Lisa Huber Tony, is the Wondrous Exploding Marvel. You can, you can call me that. I, I wouldn't mind. So just refer to me as that. Now, just for fun, I thought it'd be figure, fun to figure out what Pastor Glenn should go by. So um, Pastor Glenn's superhero nickname is the Great Wild Tornado. So I think you should just refer to him as that when you see him next, right? Hey, what's up, Great Wild Tornado? It'll be a good thing. Now, Jesus is someone who is given a magnificent name. Jesus' name means the one who saves. 
Now, have you ever wondered if the disciples ever gave Jesus a nickname? I mean, Jesus hung out with 12 disciples, 12 guys, so it was 13 of them. And you know, if you're ever with a group of guys, they tend to do the nickname thing, right? They kind of have nicknames for each other. And so you just got to wonder what they called Jesus, you know? Hey, what's up, Big J? J-Dog, how's it going? J-Man, I mean, wait, J-God. It could have gotten kind of confusing, right? So they probably just ended up calling him Jesus. But with a name as clear as Jesus, meaning the one who saves, why do you think it is that God gave us so many names in the Bible for God and to call Jesus as God's son? You see, I think it's because these names help us expand our understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, and how we should relate to Jesus. Now, Jesus had been performing many miracles that we've been reading about as we've been going through the story. For three years of his ministry, he kind of got a reputation as being a miracle man, a miracle worker. Now, he was also a rabbi and a teacher, so these were names that people would call him rabbi, teacher. Today, we are going to look at a few places in Scripture where Jesus begins to expand their view of who Jesus is by looking at his very nature as being not just a man— but the very Son of God. Now, Mark begins helping us understand some of this. Uh, We find this in Mark chapter 8. Now, Mark is likely writing for the disciple Peter. Now, Peter is uh, one of the disciples. He's a really relatable guy. I mean, he was a fisherman, just kind of your average Joe working guy. He left that all behind to follow Jesus. He's a little bit impulsive, um, kind of quick to speak, and, you know, I kind of relate to him every once in a while. But anyway, this conversation that was written down is a conversation that transpired between Jesus and the disciples. So the disciples were 12 men who had given up their entire life to follow Jesus. They followed Jesus around so that they could become more like him. They listened to his teachings, they watched him perform miracles, and they did this so that their lives would begin to reflect his teachings, his way of life, his behaviors. So as we enter into the story, we're in Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, Well, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them, do not tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke Jesus. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, this is the passage where Jesus began to talk about. He began to prepare the disciples that he was going to die. 
Now, Caesarea Philippi, where this story happens, is in northern Israel. So you can see there on the map where it's located. If you want to travel to Israel, Lord willing, my husband and I are taking a group to Israel in in January. It's just an absolutely amazing opportunity. We'll take you to Caesarea Philippi. You can stand there and um, along with all these other amazing places in the Holy Land where these Bible stories just come to life. So in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was there with his disciples. And Peter is the one who boldly answers the question. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds. Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Now, the Messiah means the anointed one or the anointed king. And so for Peter and the disciples and most of the community that was watching Jesus were hoping he would be the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for that would lead their nation, that would become the anointed king, that would reign on earth and give the nation of Israel the freedom they had so desperately been longing for, the authority, the power, so that other nations could not conquer them. And as Jesus began to describe who he was, it wasn't at all what Peter had anticipated. Jesus was talking about suffering and rejection and dying. And, and Peter was like, whoa, this, is, this isn't what we signed up for, Jesus. What are you talking about? So Peter scolded Jesus. This was not the kind of talk that he wanted to hear about their anointed king and leader. Rejection, death, Jesus, what? Really? There were questions that began to arise. Questions surrounding who Jesus was. Now there were questions back then and there are questions today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Writer and theologian C.S. Lewis has a wonderful uh, way of putting this in his writing found in Mere Christianity. Is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or a lord? This is what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said that sort of things, a man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So C.S. Lewis puts it in this, this way that helps us really kind of sh- almost shockingly. Who was Jesus? Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or is he Lord and God? You see, people agonized over what to think about Jesus. They did back in his day as well. Let's look at some of the comments about Jesus. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? Some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Thus the people were divided 
because of Jesus. Jesus was then, and he still is today, controversial. Even the people who knew him, who walked with him, who saw him perform miracles, who heard him, those people did not know what to think about Jesus. They raised a lot of questions. Now, questions are good. I love when people ask questions. I love asking questions. Questions are so helpful. They help you wrestle with something. They help you process. They really help you dig into something. Questions are good. But if you get stuck in the process of only questioning, then they're not doing what a question is designed to do. Because questions need to lead you to a conclusion, to believe or not to believe. Now, if you are someone who is maybe skeptical today or, or know someone who is, I just want to give you a, just a quick, helpful resource. Uh, there's a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's a journalist's investigation into the evidence of Jesus. So this is a great book that you can pick up that really walks all through the historical evidence. Um, it's really well done. You can pick it up on Amazon or a bookstore or even a library, and it can walk you through the evidence. But you see, the thing is, evidence will only get you so far. The final step that must be taken is faith. Faith is what differentiates the followers of Jesus from everybody else. It is believing who Jesus said he was. That Jesus was the very son of God. But faith is hard. Faith isn't something that we always know how to practice. We're much more comfortable working within our five senses here on this planet that we can depend on in our lives, that we can taste things, that we can touch things, that we can smell things, that we can hear things, that we can um, experience things around us. Now, if I was to put a piece of blueberry pie right here on my table, you would see this blueberry pie. And I would be able to use my senses to discern what this was. I would be able to see it. I would be able to smell it. I'd be able to touch it. And the best one of all, I would be able to taste it, right? Using my senses, I would be able to discern what this was. I'd even be able to, by tasting it, be able to tell you if it was my mom's homemade blueberry pie or not. But faith, it doesn't work that way. Faith, you can't use your senses. Faith is something that resides deep in our souls. Scripture talks about it like this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith means we are confident that it is true. We are confident that Jesus is true. That is what faith is. And faith leads to belief. And belief is something that is what is significant that scripture points to in identifying yourself as a Christ follower. Belief is central in identifying yourself as a Christ follower. So let's look at just a few passages in scripture that highlight this for us. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow within them. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
Now, if you turn to the very back of your program that you received when you came in this morning, belief is one of the three key steps that is part of the response to Jesus that leads you to become a follower of Jesus. The first step is A, that you admit your condition before God. You admit that our five senses are not enough, that our soul craves for something more in this life. The second step is that we believe that Jesus is God's solution. That when we believe, when we take that step of faith that Indiana Jones just illustrated, that there is a transformation process that begins in your life that opens your soul to the things of God. And then that third step is that you choose to follow Jesus. That when you do that, your soul is awakened and you know the truth that Jesus is the very Son of God. Now, those three steps, three steps hinge on the concept of belief. And there's a prayer that you can pray today, if you have never done that, that leads you through that process. And if you do that today, we have a free gift that we want to give to you. It is a gift that talks more about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And you can go to one of our guest centers right after the worship center today and pick up a free gift. And this will walk you through what that new life of transformation, that new life of your soul being awakened to the things of God looks like. Now, as we have been moving through the story of Jesus, as we've been going through our journey through the Bible, um, we've got a couple of of incidents in Scripture that I want to highlight for us today. And the first one is the transfiguration story. Now, the transfiguration is a story that reveals to us the uniqueness of Christ as the Son of God. Now, this happens six days after Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he took three of the disciples. He took Peter, James, and John, three of his friends, three of his disciples, and he went up to a mountain. And while he was up there, something crazy happened. Something jaw-dropping happened. Something amazing happened. Something that you might not believe happened. And this is what Scripture tells us happened Matthew 17 is the account. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And there Jesus was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, the Bible uses the word transfigured, which means to be transformed or to be changed. So if you think about things that change, my kids love to play with Transformers. Anyone got kids out there that are Transformers fans? Okay, these Transformers are toys, and they're either vehicles, so you can play with them like cars, or you go, and they transform into robots. Very cool. You can think about a caterpillar. A caterpillar is a worm, and all of a sudden it transforms, it changes into a butterfly. Very cool. You can think about a volcano that can change from a silent black mountain into an active fire-spewing explosion. Amazing, right? Things that can change are amazing. And Jesus, at the transfiguration, completely changed his appearance before the disciples. He went from robe-wearing, beard-wearing Jesus to glow Jesus. His face was like the sun. 
Now, how bright is the sun? You can't even look at it. You have to squint and shield your eyes because the sun is so bright. And that became the appearance of Jesus. His clothing was transformed into being as white and bright as light. He became glow Jesus. Now, while this was going on, it got even weirder. Two people from the Old Testament who were long dead showed up and were standing next to Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Now, Peter, who was watching all this, he didn't know what to do. So he said something like, um, Jesus, should I build a shelter for all of you? Because, you know, that's the logical thing to do when Jesus transforms before you and starts glowing. Jesus, actually, Peter, he kind of wanted to, like, preserve the moment. He wanted to build a house for them. He wanted to put them in a box, keep them there. Have you ever tried to put Jesus in a box? The scripture continues with the account. While he, Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And at that moment, the three disciples, they fell face down on the ground, completely terrified what was going on. But when they looked up again, Jesus had transformed back into bearded Jesus and robed Jesus and Moses and Elijah were gone. You see, Jesus took this moment to reveal to these disciples a lot about who he was. Not just about his ability to perform great deeds, to perform miracles, but at the very core, at the very nature, at the very essence of who Jesus was, that he was different from us. Jesus was not human just alone, but he was the very son of God. He was not constrained by the laws of gravity. He was not constrained by life and death. He was not constrained by time. Jesus was the new Moses. Jesus was the new Elijah. The very power of God, the power over life and death, the power over time was in Jesus. Jesus as the Son of God. And Jesus began to explain this to the disciples as he walked down the mountain. Now, do you know that Scripture uses the same word for this idea of transfiguration that happened with Jesus before the disciples when it talks about the process of change in our own lives when we become a follower of Jesus? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with Unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, Scripture also uses this word to describe something that is beyond this earthly life for us. So our earthly bodies will be transformed. After having four babies, I'm really happy about this. Anyone else pretty excited about this idea of having our bodies transformed? Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Um, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. 
Now, the last story I want to highlight for you this morning is the Lazarus story. Now, this one also has a surprise ending, as do many of the stories in Scripture, which is why it makes the Bible so much fun to read. Um, I love a good surprise ending. Everybody out there like a surprise ending? Um, Before we get to Lazarus, I actually want to show you this video that I just happened to catch over the 4th of July as I was in Michigan with my kids, and they're um, celebrating fireworks with their cousins, and just has a little bit of a surprise ending I thought you might enjoy. We were laughing so hard. It was so fun. (laughs) Okay, so the Lazarus story. The Lazarus story reveals the power of God in Jesus. So Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus was good friends with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He would often stay at their home as he was traveling through the area. They lived in a little village called Bethany. And Jesus loved these people dearly. And he was actually not in town. He was somewhere else when someone ran to him and gave him word that Lazarus was sick. Now, not just I have a cold sick, but Lazarus was really sick. Like Lazarus was dying sick. And to the surprise of everyone who who knew that Jesus knew Lazarus, especially the disciples, Jesus said, well, we're going to stay here a couple more days. He didn't make a beeline for Lazarus. And so finally, when Jesus said, okay, it's time to travel back and and see Lazarus, by the time they got there, Lazarus had already been dead. He had been dead and in the grave for four days. And Martha, the sister of Lazarus, ran out to Jesus. And you can only imagine the emotion of her being a friend of Jesus, knowing what Jesus was, who he was. And she said, Jesus, if you had been there, he wouldn't have died. But even in her, her loss and her grief, She had faith that Lazarus would one day rise, that in the last resurrection that that, that Lazarus would come forth. And Jesus almost stops her and says, Oh, my friend, but I am the resurrection. I am the life. John 11, 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And with that, Jesus went to the tomb where Lazarus Lazarus had been laid. He was wrapped in grave cloths. For four days, he'd been in the tomb. And he said, take away that gravestone. And Martha said, but Jesus, it's going to smell really bad. He's been dead four days. And Jesus asked her, do you believe that you will see the glory of God? And they took the stone away. And Jesus went to the the opening of the grave, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Come out of the grave. And Lazarus, he came forth. And he was not a zombie, and he was not the living dead. Lazarus was the living, living. He had been restored back to life. He had been resurrected from the dead. And only God can do that. Only the very Son of God could show the power of God in who he was, in his life, in his ministry, in his words, that he could command the dead and they would rise back to life, be resurrected and be restored. 
And Jesus said, though I will die, I can and I will rise again. So who do you say that Jesus is? The Bible, this great story that we have been working our way through, has many names that describe Jesus to help us expand our limited and boxed-up view of who we believe God to be. Jesus does not fit in a box. And his names in Scripture help expand our view to get us out of that box. There's a lot of I am statements that Jesus makes in scripture. And these I am statements describe the identity of who Jesus is. Let's look at a few. I am the light of the world. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. So these nicknames for Jesus help us to describe and understand who this Jesus is. From everything from glow Jesus to the power of resurrection. You see, Jesus, he is fully human and he is fully God. He is the son of man and he is the son of God. So I wonder if you want to help expand your view of who you know God to be. And this might be just a really helpful exercise for you. One of the things that I love to do is to pray when I talk to God and pray, to use all the different names in scripture that are, are given to us to describe God. If you're anything like me, sometimes maybe you get stuck in just talking to God as God or Father, or maybe you have a few names that you refer to God. But as we look at the list of many, many, many names, it helps us expand our view. I put together a list for you, and it's out at the Resource Center. So if you're interested in maybe spending some time this week praying through the names of God to expand your view of God, you can stop by the Resource Center and pick that up. And not only does God want us to better understand the very nature and essence of who God is, but Jesus says who he is so that we can know who we are. See, scripture tells us that therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. When we are in Christ, our identity becomes found in Christ. Who we are gets described in Christ. It is like your your thumbprint is, is being seen through the lens of who Christ is. Your identity becomes found in Christ. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 30, it is because of him, of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. It is like you can see your life through a magnifying glass. As you learn more about who God is, it helps you understand who God, your creator, made you to be. If you want to better understand who you are, then use your name within these descriptions of God as you pray. Form your identity based on who you know your creator God to be. Let me give you an example. Because Jesus is the light of the world, I do not need to live in darkness. Because Jesus is the living water, I can be refreshed when my soul is parched. Because Jesus is the bread of life, I am able to feed my soul on his teachings. Because Jesus is the beginning and the end, I know that my life here on earth has a beginning and an end. You see, your name is hidden in the greatest name on earth. 
When you say the name of Jesus with faith and belief, there is power, there is hope, there is healing, there is life. See, Jesus is a name that is deep and wide. Scripture tells us, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And as the worship team comes up, we're just going to close with one last scripture. It says, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Can you imagine that day? Every knee shall bow. Those who bow with belief and faith willingly and gladly and those who do not. That at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.